A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the French Revolutionary Wars, part two of six. Last week, I gave some background to the state of Europe on the eve of the French Revolution of 1789. The 1780s witnessed a revolt in the Dutch Republic, which in 1786 was put down by a Prussian army with the encouragement of the British. However, the main conflict of the continent of that decade occurred on the other side of Europe, in the southeast which initially the French were not involved in. The author, Tim Blanning, in his book, The Origins of the French Revolutionary Wars, dates the beginning of the upheavals which shook Europe at the turn of the century to the 17th of August, 1787, two years before the French Revolution. On that day, in Constantinople, the Ottomans arrested the Russian ambassador, Count Bulgakov, in the Topkapi Palace and declared war on St. Petersburg. In May and June of that year, Catherine II, the Great of Russia, had made a tour through her newly acquired territories to the north of the Black Sea and celebrated the formal annexation of the Crimean Peninsula. The acquisition of these territories after the Russian victory over the Ottomans is described in a previous episode on the Russo-Turkish Wars, 1768-74. Catherine made no secret that her ultimate objective was to capture Constantinople, the capital of the Ottoman Empire, and its restoration to Orthodox Christianity. In the year 1779, she gave her grandson the provocative name of Constantine, and the infant prince was taught the Greek language and reared by a Greek nanny. In addition, she proposed to the Habsburg Emperor Joseph II, a joint offensive on Turkish possessions in Europe. Moldavia, Wallachia and Bessarabia would be combined to form the new kingdom of Dacia, to be ruled over by an Orthodox Christian. All the rest 
minus whatever Austria wanted, would form a new Byzantine Empire to be ruled by her grandson. When, in the year 1787, Catherine paid a visit to her new acquisition, and as they entered the port of Kerzon, they passed through a triumphal arch, emblazoned with the legend, The Way to Byzantium. This was too much provocation for the Ottomans, who launched an invasion to recover their lost territories. Russia was at first caught off balance, hampered by drought and harvest failure, and diverted by an attack by Sweden in 1788. After a six-month siege, the key Russian fortress of Ochakov, at the mouth of the river Dnipro, fell to the Ottomans on the 6th of December. The Swedish invasion into Russia in 1788, however, soon came to halt when the Finnish officers mutinied and the Danes threatened to open up a second front on Sweden. For the Austrians, Russia's war against the Ottomans posed difficult questions. On the one hand, they needed Russian support in Germany against the ambitions of Prussia. But on the other hand, they had concerns that Russia's expansion into southeastern Europe could make St. Petersburg overwhelmingly powerful in the region. They reluctantly joined the war in early 1788, but their campaign started badly. Emperor Joseph II personally led a siege of Belgrade, which at first made little progress. In the meantime, the Turks attacked the Austrian positions on the Danube and by mid-September had taken most checkpoints on the river's northern bank. By the end of the year, Joseph was back in Vienna, visibly exhausted. Joseph initiated peace negotiations with the Ottomans in the closing weeks of 1788. These were making some progress until the situation was transformed by the death of Sultan Abdul Hamid in April 1789. Their successor, the warlike Selim III, immediately renounced any thought of a negotiated peace, and in a wave of popular enthusiasm, the Ottoman Empire renewed the war. That quickly looked like a foolhardy decision when the campaigns of 1789 went much better for the Russians and Austrians, who combined to capture the fortress of Khotin and the city of Yashi in Moldavia from the Ottomans. Also, the Austrians achieved their main goal of recapturing the Serbian capital of Belgrade. However, Vienna was paying a high price for a war which it never really wanted in the first place, a cost financially, but also in terms of heavy casualties among the civilian population temporarily occupied by the Ottomans, and also big losses among the army, principally by disease. The war also made efforts at domestic reform in Austria more difficult. Joseph became Holy Roman Emperor in 1765 after the death of his father, Francis I, and was made co-regent alongside his mother, Maria Theresa, in the Austrian dominions. In effect, 
Joseph operated in a kind of triumvirate composed of himself, his mother, and the chief minister, Count Kaunitz, where Maria Theresa retained most of the power. As emperor, Joseph was given oversight in most matters of foreign affairs, especially in Germany, in military matters and financial management. Yet he was impatient for the opportunity to implement domestic reform, refrained from doing so by the conservatism of his mother. Maria Theresa died in November 1780, aged 63, after catching a cold, and Joseph finally took over the reins of power. He became one of the most controversial Habsburg monarchs, unapologetically an autocrat, yet deeply enthused by ideas of the Enlightenment. He was dedicated to ruling in the best interests of his subjects. Joseph's arrogance and lack of political skills unfortunately counteracted much of what he wanted to achieve, so that historians both praise him for being forward-looking and at the same time denounce him for his authoritarianism. He was certainly very busy and tried to achieve a great deal, issuing some 6,000 edicts in just under 10 years of rule. His administrative reforms were designed to create more unitary, professionalised institutions and introduce new standards for the expanding bureaucracy and neat judiciary. He also enacted measures to boost manufacturing, encourage exports, expand education and promote agricultural productivity and he abolished serfdom in most parts of his realm. Peasants were freed from their ties to a particular plot of land and from the landlord's authority over their marriages and occupations. One of Joseph's most enlightened reforms was his Edict of Tolerance of 1781, which marked one of the biggest breaks with the policies of his dynasty. By this edict, Protestants and Orthodox believers saw a major expansion of their rights, including the right to build new churches and parochial schools. Restrictions on Jews were also significantly relaxed. The city of Vienna had grown to about 200,000, was benefiting from the region's economic expansion. Joseph's policies helped give the city a great intellectual and cultural vitality. The medical school established a good reputation, and architecture also flourished. The Rococo style of the time is exemplified by the splendid interiors of the Schönbrunn Palace and in the library of the Benedictine Abbey of Admont. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Musical life came to the fore during the co-regency of Maria Theresa and Joseph with the operas of Christoph Gluck, whose music you are listening to now, presenting a German form to rival that of the Italians. Joseph Haydn, whose Symphony 94 I played earlier, acquired his musical training in Vienna before becoming master of music of the Esterhazy family in Eisenstadt. And Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart initially worked for the Prince Archbishop of his hometown of Salzburg before moving to Vienna in March 1781. Once in the Habsburg capital, he established himself as the leading composer of his age. He became court composer in the year 1787 and composed a large number of works, still famous today right up to his tragically early death in 1791. Joseph was so concerned with reform in the Danubian domains that he consistently neglected the empire, a trait also of his mother. The Holy Roman Empire had relatively little meaning for Joseph, as he saw his Danubian territories as his real power base, where he could rule more effectively. King Frederick of Prussia took advantage of the situation by portraying himself as more loyal to common German interests than was Joseph. This was one part of his rivalry with Vienna and his ambition to shift the balance of power in Central Europe in his favour. Frederick also covertly aided rebels in Habsburg lands, notably Hungary, which rose in revolt against some of Joseph's reforms, and the Austrian Netherlands, which sought independence. Joseph mishandled the situation in the Low Countries, trying again to swap the Austrian Netherlands for Bavaria in 1785, but Frederick the Great of Prussia assembled a league of German princes called the Fürstenbund to block this deal. Thwarted by his attempt to swap the Netherlands for territory elsewhere, Joseph set forth a programme of reform for the region. Firstly, he attempted economic liberalisation and to break up the power and monopolies of the urban guilds. A decree in December 1786 removed all duties and restrictions on the grain trade, but pressure from vested interest forced him to repeal this measure. As for social policies, Joseph set out to more evenly distribute wealth. Hygiene and public health were given greater attention, and elementary education was improved. His most radical reforms were reserved for the Roman Catholic Church. The bishops protested strongly when he made marriage a civil rather than religious function, thereby robbing the church of a segment of life over which it enjoyed nearly exclusive jurisdiction. The real storm broke loose, however, when Joseph attempted to reform the training centres for priests, more in line with Enlightenment thinking. 
Soon, an avalanche of pamphlets swept the country as the new church policy was hotly debated. Nevertheless, Joseph continued with sweeping administrative and judicial reforms, abolishing existing law courts and replacing them with a streamlined and rationalised system of justice. The government faced serious trouble when the church found sympathy among other groups who felt threatened by the reforms, especially government functionaries. The decrees cost countless people their positions or their local base of power. Resistance was particularly strong in the province of Ainau, but also Brabant and Flanders. The governor-generals, alarmed by the scope of the protests, suspended all reforms without consulting the emperor. Joseph was furious, but backed down on all reforms except those of the church, and he appointed a new army commander to restore imperial order. The so-called Small Revolution of 1787 was thereby defeated, and many dissidents took refuge in the neighbouring Dutch Republic, where they formed a rebel army, with some support from Frederick William of Prussia. By 1789, however, the imperial government was again losing its control over the situation, despite its increasingly punitive measures. The states of Hainaut and Brabant refused to cooperate with the more limited reforms, and when, on the 26th of June, 1789, Cardinal Frankenberg formally condemned the religious changes, the emperor became regarded by his Catholic opponents as a condemned heretic. In the so-called Brabantine Revolution, a rebel army gathered across the Dutch border in Breda and invaded. They defeated the Austrian army in October, and the capital, Brussels, fell on the 12th of December. As Austrian soldiers and imperial functionaries hastily left the country. The leaders of the uprising declared themselves independent from Austria as the United Belgian States. By this time, Emperor Joseph II was seriously ill with tuberculosis, which he had picked up on campaign. His troubles were compounded by Prussia, who made every effort to cause problems for their Habsburg rivals, and were concerned of the prospect of Vienna becoming stronger by making territorial gains in the Balkans or Danube region. King Frederick William covertly aided the Habsburg rebels and gave the impression that he might attack directly after making an alliance with the Ottomans. Recognising that he had overreached and that his actions had provoked much of the upset, Joseph ordered the rolling back of his reforms. He finally succumbed to illness on the 20th of February 1790 at the age of 48. Disconsolate the way things had gone, he requested as his epithet, quote, Here lies a prince whose intentions were pure, but who had the misfortune to see all his plans collapse. End quote. In fact, not all Joseph's reforms were undone. Writes Benjamin Curtis on his book on the Habsburgs, quote, The Tolerance Edict, the improvement in peasants' conditions, the advances in public health and general education all remained. The most judicious evaluation of Joseph's reforms has to acknowledge that he achieved much and yet also committed many errors. His attempt to create a more modern, centralised state was not wrong in principle, but was not carried out in an optimal way. Part of Joseph's problem was that despite his maxim of equality, 
He still believed in the sovereign power of the dynasty above all. This led him to ignore the fact that power in society did not belong just to the dynasty, but was in fact shared with other institutions, such as the nobility. When his brother and successor, Leopold, arrived in Vienna the following month, he found his inheritance apparently in a state of dissolution. Belgium had declared independence, and Hungary looked as if it was going the same way. Meanwhile, his military was still bogged down in the Balkans. The new emperor acted quickly and skilfully to recover the situation. His political instincts had been tuned for over 25 years as the Grand Duke of Tuscany, where he had earned himself a very respectable reputation as a reformer. There, Leopold had collaborated closely with other ruling institutions, in some areas pursuing decentralisation of power. He had introduced, for example, a new penal code, which was the first in Europe to abolish capital punishment. He also proclaimed free trade in grain, relaxed censorship and improved public health. On his accession to the imperial throne, Leopold II undid some of Joseph's most inflammatory policies, while at the same time continuing with some Enlightenment-inspired reforms, but more gradually and tactfully. He ended military conscription in Tyrol, which had provoked a rebellion there. In Hungary, he restored order by promising to respect Hungary's traditional constitution and by exploiting internal divisions among the rebels. Leopold also realised he must deal with Prussia, and so in March 1790 he dispatched a friendly letter to Berlin, opening the door for negotiations. The end result was the Convention of Reichenbach, signed on the 27th of July 1790, where the two main German powers, after tense discussions, agreed to pull back from the brink of war and settle their differences. The Austrians agreed to end their war against the Ottomans on moderate terms, without annexation of territory, and the Prussians promised to stop fomenting rebellions within the Habsburg monarchy. For Austria, this meant giving up all the conquered territory, including the great prize of Belgrade, but it helped rescue the Habsburgs from the threat of lost territory elsewhere, and saved the considerable expense of war. The next year, Prussia's threat to enter the continuing Russo-Turkish War combined with pressure from Britain, persuaded Catherine the Great of Russia to conclude the conflict, with territorial gains from the Ottomans, which were significant, but not as much as her original ambitions. In the Treaty of Yashi in 1792, Russia acquired the key fortress of Ochakov and also territory between the Dniester and Bug rivers, thus consolidating her hold on the northern shores of the Black Sea. The Convention of Reichenbach was more significant than it seemed at first. It ended the era of bitter Austro-Prussian antagonism that had prevailed since the Prussian invasion of Silesia back in 1740. The two German powers could pursue their interests in concert, rather than at each other's expense. Frederick William of Prussia also abandoned his secret efforts to secure an alliance with Paris, and switched to a policy against revolutionary France. 
Russia's previous good relations with Britain had also begun to sour. They had recently cooperated in the Dutch Republic, as described last week, but in many ways their alliance was inherently unstable, because each side had fundamentally opposed aims. Whereas the British sought to maintain the status quo on the continent, the Prussians sought to alter it in their favour. In particular, while the Prussians had sought to help Belgium gain independence, the British were concerned, with reason, that an independent Belgium would fall straight under the sway of France. This tension was resolved by the fact that the Convention of Reichenbach allowed Leopold to reconquer the southern Netherlands and put an end to the short-lived United Belgium States. The Emperor used his tact and diplomatic skills to help restore order and agreed to respect the region's traditional institutions. The most important consequence of the Brabantine Revolution was the political mobilisation of broad segments of the population of the southern Netherlands. Public opinion diverged greatly between different groups who had very different ideas about what reform was required for their country, in particular between religious conservatives and liberals. Overall, though, writes Stephen Beller in his History of Austria, it was remarkable what Emperor Leopold II achieved. The position of the Habsburgs was restored, with most of his brother's reforms preserved, especially in religion and education, at least in the core Habsburg territories. It is interesting to compare the Brabantine Revolution of 1789-90 to with the French Revolution which occurred just over the border at the same time. Each had separate trajectories based on their local circumstance, but both were clearly inspired by the Enlightenment movement, which had come to dominate intellectual thought across Europe in one form or another. Rulers now recognised a duty to use their sovereign powers to promote the material welfare of their subjects, although there was much disagreement about how that was best achieved. The former acceptance of traditional hierarchy was replaced by a broad consensus that since everyone had been created as rational beings, they had natural rights which should not be denied by arbitrary authority or outdated privilege and tradition. It took a while for contemporaries to appreciate how this new way of thinking subverted the very foundations of a culture built for centuries on hierarchies of power and privilege. Emperor Joseph II was the archetypal enlightened despot who believed deeply in the ideals of the Enlightenment movement but saw no contradiction with reforms being made top-down and a centralisation of power to achieve better efficiency for the ultimate benefit of his citizens. It is important to bear in mind that the theories of the Enlightenment were imbibed principally by the educated elite and except in certain urban areas such as the Netherlands were not a major consideration for the majority population. One image of the French Revolution is of the masses demanding liberties from a reactionary leadership. But in fact, Enlightenment reform was more often than not directed by a well-meaning ruling class. The rebellions in Belgium, Hungary and elsewhere were often directed against modernising reform, rather than against the prevailing system by a population who were in general religiously conservative and fearful of disruption and losing existing privileges. In Britain, the Gordon riots were largely motivated by anti-Catholic sentiment. In short, 
The profound cultural changes triggered by the Enlightenment were complex and shaped by local conditions. In the year 1789, domestic reform became overshadowed by events in France. Leopold's sister was Marie Antoinette, the beleaguered Queen of France, who urgently appealed to her brother for help to counter the French Revolution, which had stripped her husband, King Louis XVI, of much of his power, and even potentially threatened their lives. Next week I focus on events in Paris, and the famous French Revolution of 1789. I will leave you today with the last movement of a sonata by Mozart, known as Alla Turca, or the Turkish March, which is one of his most well-known piano pieces. It imitates the sound of Turkish Janissary bands, the music of which was much in vogue at the time. I hope you enjoy.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 